The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Join us at patreon.com slash Edge. Your support helps us keep the podcast ad-free and helps us fund our research projects and database management. Thanks to longtime support from folks like Blake and Bruce, our 2020 FBS team profiles will be fully updated and available to our Tier 2 and Tier 3 patrons on March 1st. That's two months earlier than our 2019 profiles, and also includes new and improved and expanded features. Visit patreon.com slash CFBWinningEdge for details. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome into the CFB Winning Edge podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can find me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. And I am joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen at CFB Winning Edge on the Twitter machine and at Xavier underscore Trish for Xavier Trish on T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter. Fellas, what is going on? You guys ready for the Super Bowl? Uh, Well... I, I I wrote about the, I I uh, you caught me off by guard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really caught you, you off guard caught, here, Nick. It's funny. We just uh, did we just did reads. Nick <laughs> flawless. I mean, not a stutter, not a stumble, no nothing. I asked him about not college football down the rails, completely off. Where the train? Oh, there were that old train that goes over the bridge. With no rails <laughs> at all. So uh, try that again. Nick, are you ready for the Super Bowl? Uh, yeah, I guess, Scott. I, I, <laughs> I might watch the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> might watch it. You'll I, watch the Super Bowl. Come on. Well, I, you know, I, I, my, uh, my wife and I are, are uh, considering maybe going out of town this weekend. So it might be on uh, television. But if we're traveling back from... Uh, uh, you know, out of town or something like that. I, I might, you know, not see it all. We'll we'll see, but I I, I will probably watch it. I did watch uh, last year's, so <laughs> it's uh, it's not at the top of my priority list. But uh, I did, believe it or not, I wrote about the Super Bowl this year. How are you going to write about the Super Bowl and know, not watch the Super Bowl? I mean, it doesn't happen very often. But the the good folks at Athlon Sports that uh, uh, do. Uh, let me write for them from time to time. They break me out of my comfort zone if they need, you know, you, all hands on deck for the Super Bowl, right? So uh, right. I was approached by my editor uh, about doing a stats uh, post. So did did have to research a little bit. Apparently, uh, the San Francisco 49ers are good this year. They, uh, <laughs> they had a good season. And uh, so I wrote a little bit about that. I knew the Chiefs were pretty good and uh yeah so wrote about it uh what was the most surprising stat if you're doing that uh goodness so one thing that that makes me uh very jealous about uh riot you know that that college football is my favorite thing and not the nfl is there are so much uh there's so much more information available in the nfl and it's always, you know, it's also 32 teams instead of 130. I, I could dive deeper into each team if I were, you know, if this were NFL winning it. Not right, CFL. right. Uh, but the NFL next-gen stats are amazing. Yeah, and they are. Just the, the, the depth of information that's available. So one of the things that, that stuck out to me was, you know, Patrick Mahomes, of course, is, uh, leads the NFL in – touchdowns on passes of air yards of 20 yards or more 30 yards or more and 40 yards or more so uh 
uh, makes sense that if you were going to be, you know, that he would, if you're going to lead in one, you're probably going to lead in all. But uh, that just sort of stuck out to me. I'd love to see more information on, you know, air yards and things like that. Just sort of a, a deeper level uh, stats for college football. And some of that stuff is out there. I mean, a lot of a lot of people are doing great work. PFF does some great stuff and Sports Info Solutions, all, all sorts of stuff. But uh, I would love to get my hands on if they were like CFB next gen stats. That That would be a lot of fun to dig into. Yeah, I mean... I, I'm to be honest, I'm kind of surprised that we don't have that stuff. I don't think we're far off in getting it. But Xavier, do you have an opinion on the Super Bowl? Who do you like? Of course I do. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, this game is going to be an absolute shootout. I think that the San Francisco 49ers defense will have trouble with uh, Kansas City. Uh, ultimately, though, I think that their running game will keep the ball out of Kansas City's hands. Uh, I'm forcing every possession that Kansas City has to uh, be very, very important. And if they don't capitalize, which I wouldn't be surprised if they don't, with that front four that uh, San Francisco brings to the table with uh, Bosa, Ar- um, Armstead, and the lot. Uh, I think the 49ers are going to walk away with a Super Bowl. Um, it's a little bittersweet to watch Kyle Shanahan hoist one, not with the Falcons. But, hey, he deserved one then. And he definitely, you know, I think will deserve it after uh, the Super Bowl as well. So I got the 49ers winning it. Uh, like 34-24. Yeah, I've got uh, my score is 35-31 Niners. Uh, I, I, I like the Chiefs, and I understand why they're favored because, you know, the rules dictate more towards the offense, but I think stopping that uh, Niners offensive line is just going to prove to be somewhat impossible. Mm-hmm. No one really has this year. I mean, you know, uh, the, the Steelers were terrible this year, but they got five turnovers against Jimmy G in the offense and still couldn't beat uh, the Niners right. because it just didn't let them score after that. I mean, it was Mason Rudolph uh, as the starter in that game. So, you know, uh, way different than Patrick Mahomes, of course. But um, uh, the Niners have been on some kind of run. And while I, you know, I don't want another team to get to six Super Bowls like the Patriots did last year because my Steelers have six Super Bowls. Uh, right. You know, the, the Niners are going to get there eventually. So, you know, it, it's going to happen. But what we got going on today is we're going to talk about coordinators moving, uh, some of the transfer decisions, some of the transfer guys that haven't made their decisions. And then we're going to take a look at our end of season rankings uh, for uh, CFP winning edge and the most improved teams, the least improved teams and what the results from 2019 were. So we got a lot to cover. So let's dive right in on these coordinator updates. And I'll give you the first five. We got 11 lines of these here. USC, uh, they get to hold on to Graham Harrell and they add Todd Orlando from Texas. LSU hired Bo Pelini, who was Youngstown. Uh, head uh, Youngstown State head coach last season as their defensive coordinator. Larry Fedora obviously used to be the head coach at uh, UNC, moves to the OC at Baylor, uh, and then Joe Moorhead moves over to uh, Oregon to become the offensive coordinator, and Georgia gets Jeff Monken from the Bucks and James Coley and a recruiting staffer uh, to Texas A&M. So uh, what do we think of these first five lines of moves here? Well, the the biggest and most important, and we've known it for a little while, we just haven't gotten to it on the, on the show yet, but Graham Harrell uh, sticking around at USC is huge. I mean, he uh, probably is the the most important uh or the biggest reason that that uh 
Clay Helton is still the head coach at USC. I mean, they, they took a big step forward offensively. I uh, have to think that there's an opportunity to improve even more in year two. Uh, he got a little bit of interest uh, from head coaching jobs, uh, seemed to uh, at least have one uh, interview with the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. So, you know, NFL teams showed an interest in Graham Harrell as well. So for him to to come back is a, a big, big reason uh, for hope for USC, for, for USC fans. And uh, I do like the Tartolando hire as well. I, I know that Texas uh, statistically did not have a good year defensively, and, and we've talked about that plenty. Tackling was certainly an issue, but uh, injury and, and inexperience was, was also an issue. So I think Orlando has a, a really good reputation. He's had uh, some solid defenses in the past, uh, getting to work again with uh, a very, very talented unit. USC has elite defensive talent, and it's going to be exciting to see uh, what he can do with that. And, you know, hopefully they'll, uh, like Texas <laughs> also, hopefully stay healthier this year than they did last year. Uh, Pelini, you know, he, he has been a defensive coordinator at LSU in the past. It's been quite a while since he's been a coordinator, but uh, he's a uh, solid defensive mind. You have to think that LSU is going to continue to uh, do good things defensively with him uh, in control. And, you know, he's a he's a personality. He's a character. So it'll be interesting to see him again on uh, sort of the big stage even as an assistant this time. But, uh, you know, Fedora has a, a strong track record as an offensive coordinator, similar to Pelini. It's been a while since he's been, uh, you know, a, a, an on-field assistant. But I uh, have to think that he's learned a lot from his time as a head coach, probably going to be uh, somebody that first-time head coach Dave Aranda can lean on uh, for that, for his experience. So that's a good thing. I think Joe Moorhead at Oregon is is – arguably the best new hire that we've seen from an offensive coordinator this year. I mean, Joe Moorhead is highly, highly respected as a play caller. Uh, Oregon has a lot of uh, turnover. They've got a new, uh, new quarterback. They've got four new starters on the offensive line. So uh, to have somebody to be able to come in and uh, sort of elevate from a play calling standpoint, uh, that's going to be big and, and help those players develop and get those new guys uh, sort of going in, in the right direction. And then, you know, we've, we've talked about Georgia before and, and the situation there and Jeff Monken being uh, the new offensive coordinator seems to be, you know, universally uh, celebrated as a hire, seems to be a, a you know, big move in the right direction. He's really high, uh, you know, really well-respected former Oklahoma State offensive coordinator spent time in the NFL and, of course, Southern Miss head coach and, and had strong offenses pretty much everywhere he's been. Uh, when he first got hired, it seemed that maybe James Coley would be reassigned to another position on the staff, but we've learned since that he's going to Texas A&M, another uh, sort of back-end uh, recruiting guy is also following to Texas A&M. So, uh, you know, sort of that that hurts Georgia from a recruiting standpoint. Coley is, is really highly regarded as far as his recruiting capabilities go, but uh, certainly he was at the center of a lot of uh, 
you know, disgruntled Georgia fans and, and uh, things like that for his play calling last year. So have to think, at least on the surface at this point, that's an upgrade for Georgia as well. Yeah, I mean, you definitely pointed it out. Uh, Todd Orlando, uh, you didn't say as much, but we can all read between the lines here. He was kind of the scapegoat at Texas. Yeah. Or everyone getting hurt. I mean, Xavier, you're absolutely with me on that one. What about uh, what about the other ones here? Wh- which ones interest you the most? Well, firstly, before we continue, is it Jeff Mocking or Todd Mocking? Uh, oh, did I say the wrong thing? Yeah, because Todd's the one that said Georgia. Jeff's at Army. Oh, <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a mistake on my part. Typo. Okay. Online. Cool, cool, cool. Because I was like, if we got an OC from Army. I don't know how I feel. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> You're ready for that uh, triple no. option. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, with J.B. Newman, we might be able to run it. Um, but um, Todd Mocking, obviously, as a Georgia fan, I absolutely love it. You know, I'm also a Falcons fan, so I've been able to watch the Buccaneers for the last uh, for pretty much his entire tenure um, in Tampa Bay. They've always had a a prolific offense, you know, maybe Jameis hasn't always been the best quarterback to run set offense, but it's always been down the field, taking shots, taking your chances, um, you know, getting the ball to your talent. I don't know how many uh, targets Mike Evans had in the time that Ty was a coordinator, but every time the Falcons played him, it felt like Mike Evans got the ball every other play. Uh, so happy days for George Pickens and all the receivers we just got out of the recruiting trail. Um, another one, Question for you before we move on. So I, I obviously, as I was uh, mentioned before and was certainly outed at the beginning of the show, if this is your first time listening, I, I don't pay much attention to the NFL, but I do hear <laughs> bits and pieces here and there. And I know Jameis Winston threw what? 30, 30, 30, 30, interceptions. 30 interceptions this year. Yeah. So uh, as someone who, or both of you, who, who have watched a lot more NFL football than I have in recent years, is that a product solely of Jameis Winston? Is that play calling? Is that a combination? And if it's so, Jameis. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's Jameis. you know, <laughs> uh, you don't even have to finish your sentence there. It's Jameis. Jameis <laughs> makes, uh, he makes some uh, amazing throws that you go, wow, how could someone make that throw? I haven't seen that in the NFL before. That's amazing. And then he makes some throws going, how do you let him stay on the field? That was the dumbest S I've ever seen in my life. So, you know, I, I mean, he's a, a younger quarterback. A lot of people uh, kind of are comparing him to uh, Peyton Manning because Peyton Manning in his, I think it was the same age season at whatever he's at, 25, I think it is, had a similar thing where he threw like, you know, 30 touchdowns and 24 picks as well. So um, I don't think he has Peyton Manning's upside, of course, but uh, I I wouldn't blame it on play calling at all for a guy like Jameis. It's uh, too many passes, I think, is probably part of it. Uh, They give him they give him too long of a leash, but it's also Jameis just making boneheaded decisions on at least half of those picks. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, Tampa Bay's lack of running game has really put all of the weight on Jameis, and you can tell that in the way that he throws the football sometimes. Uh, he just tries to put it in places where it shouldn't go, and obviously that ends in turnovers 90% of the time. Um, so no, I wouldn't even. I don't think the play calling has ever really been a problem, um, although they've had to get rid of coordinators in the past, more so on the defensive side of the ball. Jameis just gives the ball away uh, like it's going out of style, so that's him. Gotcha. Um, to continue, Todd Orlando, obviously somebody that uh, I'm excited to see because last time that was that were, Todd Orlando or Jeff Orlando? Uh, it's Todd. 
Uh, Todd, the last time that he was a part, uh, obviously he had his laws at uh, Texas with injuries and the lack of tackling. Um, but I don't know if that was necessarily all his problem. Um, when he was the defensive coordinator at Houston, he had them as a top 20, uh, ranked top 20 in total defense that year. Uh, so obviously that bodes well for a USC team that uh, obviously had its ups and downs defensively last year. And obviously with them keeping Graham Harrell and how explosive that offense could be at times, those two should mix well. Uh, Bo Pelini being back in the SEC um, will be good to see. Obviously, last time he was at LSU, he had one of the best defenses in the country. And although it's been a long time since he's been at LSU, nothing much has changed, in my opinion, as far as the talent is concerned. Um, he's going to have the same, you know, dearth of talent that he's always uh, that he was accustomed to last time he was there. I mean, it's good to see him back um, on the uh, FBS or the highest FBS level. Uh, so that'll be fun. And then Larry Fedora. Uh, obviously he was an analyst last year for Texas. So to see him, you know, leave the the booth and leave the, the cushy chair for now, uh, the terrible weather of Waco, it's going to be fun to see. Um, I think that he obviously got outed at North Carolina for the, uh, sentimental option. And I think he had run his course there. Uh, but to see him come to Baylor, uh, to a team that obviously is going through a lot of turnover, I think he's going to be uh, a stable force there. Um, obviously having the experience that he has had in college football. Um, and he's an, he also is a name that goes with it, which is also uh, good for the fan base when you're able to tie your you know coordinators to names where they don't have to go in on an immediate Google search of who this guy is. So um, that's good to see. So, yeah. All right. So the other ones that we have here are Gus Malzahn is going to get play calling duties or he's going to hand the play oh, calling duties that's right. to Chad Morris, uh, Zach Arnett, Recently hired uh, at Syracuse in this former San Diego State uh, uh, DC is going to be the Mississippi State DC uh, Nebraska uh, OC Matt Lubick. Uh, he was out of football last year, but he was uh, Washington OC and an Oregon assistant. Uh, Kerry Coombs back at Ohio State after his stint with the Titans. Mike Bobo going from uh, Colorado State as a head coach to the OC at South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And Rocky Long uh, going from the San Diego State head coach to the defensive coordinator at New Mexico. Obviously, a lot of interesting <laughs> moves here. Uh, the Rocky Long one uh, laughing at because he wasn't threat they weren't threatening his job at all he wanted to move on and it was mm -hmm. just weird to see him move on from a head coaching job to a defensive coordinating job at new mexico you would expect him if he's going to leave uh maybe go and get a uh you know a coordinator job at a bigger school and that is not something that happened so uh nick break down these moves for me here well i i think it's interesting that gus malzahn one hired Chad Morris, uh, they're, they're longtime friends and, and they go, you know, go back a long time. They have similar philosophies. So on that, maybe they're going to bring it, the forward pass to, uh, <laughs> well, oh, and, goodness. And some levels it, it <laughs> makes sense. And yes, I mean, I think Auburn would like to, uh, have, you know, more success through the air and, and Chad Morris, uh, did have some strong passing offenses at SMU less so, at Arkansas, of course, but um, it's interesting because this time last year, a lot of the talk around Gus Malzahn was, all right, it's it's his offense. He's not going to give, you know, there was, a, there was, when Rhett Lashley was there, it was Malzahn's offense, but then uh, started to try to give a little bit more to 
uh, Lashley as far as, you know, game planning and, and things like that. And then eventually Lashley moved on to sort of be able to spread his wings a little bit. Uh, Chip Lindsay was there for a little while, was not the play caller. Um, and then last year, Kenny Dillingham came over from Memphis, had the OC uh, title, but was not the play caller. Because Malzahn was the play caller. So um, that was... Uh, you know, uh, this time last year they were coming off a huge win over Purdue in the bowl game, put up 70 points, whatever it was, uh, 63 points, so whatever. And, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of optimism that, all right, Malzahn's, you know, taking control of the offense again. So it's interesting to see him. Uh, basically, he has said that he's giving it over to Chad Morris, as, as far as I understand. Uh, and, and so that's just a departure from where we were last year so uh it'll be interesting to watch sort of how that plays out the san diego state thing is is interesting because zach arnett was the you know the he had the title of defensive coordinator uh at san diego state but that was really rocky long's defense so somewhat similar to the malzon thing rocky long has been the defensive play caller at san diego state for a long time and and long moving on to uh, joined the staff of his <laughs> former uh, defensive coordinator, Danny Gonzalez, who was most recently at Arizona State, but was in the sort of Zach Arnett role, uh, you know, what, two years ago, something like that. And, and so just just really interesting. Rocky Long also was former head coach at New Mexico, was there a long time, went to school there. Uh, I believe he's from New Mexico. So it's just sort of a, an opportunity for him to go back home. And it just seemed like maybe Rocky Long just didn't want to be uh, in charge anymore. I mean, he just, just turned 70, won 10 games and thought, you know what? I, I don't really want to be a head coach anymore. So, uh, be interesting to see how that plays out. But also on the other end, Zach Arnett, all of a sudden, he's a defensive coordinator in the SEC and not just a defensive coordinator in the SEC, but for, uh, you know, under a head coach who is basically offense only all the time in Mike Leach. So you're going from having a head coach that pretty much, you know, still is the the top guy as far as the defense goes, uh, to being pretty much on your own. Uh, just, you know, here's your, here's your side of the football. Here's your staff go to work. So be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, San Diego State's had a ton of success. I mean, they were uh, one of the best defenses in the country last year. They finished second in the, in the country as far as uh, percentage of three and outs forced. Only Clemson was better, and it was by uh, one-tenth of a percentage point. So uh, they, they're a really, really strong defense. And, and so not, not just in raw numbers, but in a lot of your rate statistics as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, plays out. A couple of the other moves, you know, the, the, the Matt Lubick uh, move is interesting. I believe he was in finance last year. But he spent time at Oregon with Scott Frost. They're close. Apparently, Lubick was a consultant of some sort for Frost, which I don't know if that means they would just call each other up after the game and you know talk about whatever. I, I'm not sure exactly. But uh, Frost moved on from Troy Walters, who had been his offensive coordinator at UCF, and you know obviously they're looking for a spark, looking for something uh, to, to sort of change things up there in Nebraska. They need to move forward. This is a big year. So interesting to see uh, that this is 
the higher, but again, sort of a situation where Scott Frost, that's his offense. So how much of a, uh, you know, play calling, play designing, game planning uh, role is Lubick really going to play in relation to Frost? It would be interesting to see how it plays out. Kerry Coombs is basically a rock star as a uh, secondary coach and recruiter. So Ohio State, uh, I'm sure, is just thrilled to, to have him back. Um, Mike Bobo, that, that's going to be a fun one to watch because he was uh, Georgia fans. You know, he, he, of course, was quarterback there and offensive coordinator for, for quite a while. Uh, were sort of on Mike Bobo a lot during his tenure. I think they eventually started to come around a little bit and I think got more of an appreciation uh, after Bobo left because then we had the, the uh, uh, oh, who is it? Schottenheimer. What, what's, what's, uh, uh, Marty? No, no, no. Well, Marty's son uh, was the offensive coordinator in Rick's last year and uh, didn't work out, you know, very well. And, and uh, so I think people had, uh, more of an appreciation for Mike Bobo maybe at that point. But he had some really uh, fun and and prolific offenses at Colorado State, and uh, both passing and running. I mean, just, you know, he, he sort of uh, took whatever the strength was and, and really sort of— And he gets his quarterback back, right? Now that's also interesting because, yeah, Colin Hill, who's who's been the starter— at Colorado State for, I think, eight or nine years, uh, is transferring to South Carolina as a grad transfer. And it, at first, it seemed like, okay, well, this is just going to be, a, you know, a, a situation where maybe he's a, like a GA on the field kind of thing, because they've got Ryan Holinsky, who started 11 games last year and, and put up some solid numbers. So you have to think, like, okay, this is Holinsky's offense. And, and I thought maybe Hill would be coming along as sort of a – you know, uh, a, a solid backup and somebody that knows the offense, you know, uh, forwards and backwards and, and really could help Helinski grow. But the more I've sort of heard about the situation and, and sort of read about it, there seems to be some legitimate thought that Hill will challenge for that job. I don't necessarily know if I believe it. I mean, he's had two or three uh, ACL injuries, unfortunately. Um, and he's, he's done some good things when healthy, but Ryan Helinski is a high end talented guy. And he, and he certainly had his struggles as a true freshman at times, but, uh, I, I would be surprised if, if Hill ends up winning that job, but it seems to be that, uh, you know, maybe he'll get a legitimate shot at it, but, uh, interested to see how that plays out because, uh, Colorado state's done some good things. They've had some really uh, strong passing offenses at times this past year. They did some really interesting things, getting the running backs involved uh, in the passing game as well. So interested to see how that shakes out and, and that situation with Will Muschamp's seat potentially getting a little bit warmer. Uh, is you know is, is Mike Bobo the kind of guy that can maybe save a job similar to what Graham Harrell did last year? Who's to say? I'm not sure if his seat is is quite that hot yet that this is a make or break year, but it's an important year and it's an important hire. It'll be uh, fun to see it play out. Xavier, what do you think about these moves? Well, first off, I think the Gus Malzahn move is an attempt to have a scapegoat. I think that <laughs> I do. I, I think that Gus feels the pressure every single year as being the play caller um, for Auburn. Um, people want his head by week nine. 
I think that this obviously gives him an opportunity to focus more on, you know, the day-to-day of both sides of the football. Um, I don't know if that's going to help or hurt his um, him in the media and, and his rapport down there for Auburn fans. Um, but I think it gives him a scapegoat because I think if this goes bad, Chad Morris gets fired within a year or two, Gus Malzahn keeps his job and continues to push on, um, and they blame the guy who calls the play, plays now, which will be Chad Morris. Um, as far as Mike Bobo, obviously – People looked at him going back to Georgia as a possible move. A lot of Georgia fans on Twitter uh, wanted Mike Bobo back at Georgia. Uh, uh, but now, obviously, he goes to a rival in South Carolina. Nick, I didn't know about the court, a possible quarterback battle going into the year. I felt that it was pretty much Helinski's job wrapped up um, as he kind of just, you know, rolled the ship down the stretch um, and obviously had that big win at Georgia. Uh, but, you know, they're going to get one heck of a coordinator, a guy who's going to stretch the field um, and bring, hopefully, you know, some – well-needed updates to the South Carolina offense um, that haven't been there in the last couple of years. Um, they've struggled offensively, and, and this year especially mightily at times. Uh, so that'll be not, that's a really, really nice move in my opinion. Um, and same thing I felt for Scott Frost um, at Nebraska. Um, I thought I think that uh, the new OC move is an opportunity for him, obviously, to, to maybe have another scapegoat. Obviously, he hasn't been uh, nearly as uh, – he's been on the hot seat a lot since his time in Nebraska. And I think that he's really looking to find something new and to shake it up. Um, and you see this from guys who feel like they're on the hot seat. Uh, you saw this in the NFL for, um, from Dan Quinn when he brought in new coordinators, seemed uh, every year since the Super Bowl because he hasn't been able to find that magic that he found in that one year. And guys who are on the hot seat tend to make moves like this, um, trying to find somebody who sparks something, uh, kind of on the uh, Joe Brady kind of move where it all of a sudden sparks the offense and the offense takes off next year and he can be looked at as the guy who brought in uh, Matt Lubick. So hopefully these moves work for these coaches. If not, we'll obviously see them out of jobs in the next year or two. Um, but if they were to work, hey, Nice hires, and I can't be mad with any of them. All right, so Brian Schottenheimer. Brian yeah, Schottenheimer. Was, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I always, I always forget because I think of, uh, you know, uh, being a Steelers fan. Marty Schottenheimer uh, had Bill Cower, so mm. uh, Cower always credits Marty uh, anytime he gets something. In fact, when they surprised him on CBS uh, a couple weeks ago to tell him that he was going to be uh, going into the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, he was still giving props to to Marty Schottenheimer as his mentor. So I like I always have Marty's name stuck in my head, but I know his kid uh, Brian is also a huge offensive coordinator uh, in the NFL. Uh, what about these guys that have uh, decided to transfer here? I'm gonna blow through them here, and then Nick, tell me what you think of them and who is the biggest impact. Um, Quarterback Justin Rogers goes from TCU to UNLV. Uh, Todd Centio, uh, I believe it is, uh, goes from Temple to Colorado State. Uh, Britton Brown, this is a big one, goes from Duke to UCLA. Justin Shorter, um, I think he might be the highest recruit on this list, goes from Penn State to Florida. Uh, Michael Jones goes from Oklahoma to Tulane. Trey Lowe goes from Washington. And uh, Treshawn Harrison from FSU both go to Oregon State. The wide receivers, uh, Kobe White and Andrew Pritz, uh, decide to uh, stay at their schools. And then uh, Quincy, uh, Ro- is it Roche or Roach? I'm not sure. I think it's Roach. Roach. Uh, went, I believe so. Uh, from uh, Temple to Miami. So uh, which ones have the biggest impact here? 
Uh, I think the the biggest immediate impact is Roche. I mean, he was mm-hmm. the AAC Defensive Player of the Year last year as a junior. Uh, he was also PFF's highest graded returning pass rusher, I believe. So big, big time talent. There was thought that he might declare for the NFL draft, uh, but for him to land at Miami is another big uh, transfer for for them. He's a he's a 100 rated player as far as our. Uh, VGR Plus ratings go. He's been incredibly, incredibly productive, and and Miami has been very. You know, last year was was a struggle for Miami as a whole, but the defense was still very, very good, and the defensive line uh, was highly, highly productive. And and for him to be uh, sort of that bookend pass rusher um, with uh, Gregory Rousseau, who was the the you know finished second in the country behind. Uh, Chase Young and Sacks for, for those two to team up. And then they also uh, have a, a guy who sat out last year, UCLA transfer Jalen Phillips, who was the number one overall recruit out of high school uh, a few years ago. I, I know that there's some thought that, you know, perhaps he, he's uh, not, you know, the, the thought is he's probably not going to live up to that elite status. But you know, super, super talented guy, uh, and Miami is going to continue, I think, to play some really good defense. So getting a player like Roach is, is huge. Uh, two that, that stick out to me on this list are, one, Just, Justin Shorter. You're absolutely right. He was, a, he was a five-star guy. I was very, very high on Justin Shorter. He's got uh, all the raw tools. I mean, he's 6'4", he's physical, he's fast. Uh, just never really could get it going at Penn State. Redshirted in 2018, played four games. This year, he, he started out the season, looked like he was going to be um, a, a starter, and, and just really couldn't get going. And so, hopefully, it's it's a you know situation where a change of scenery would be good for him. I think he's going to have to sit out 2020. Uh, uh, maybe there's a, a waiver or something like that. So um, not not a hundred percent sure, but that that seems to be the case. But hopefully, you know, Florida is a, is a situation where he's going to be able to to reach his full potential because he, he's full of it. He's got he's got all sorts of potential. Uh, so I'm excited to to see him uh, hopefully get a, a change of scenery. And then uh, second. Justin Rogers. Uh, similarly, I was really, really high on Justin Rogers coming out of high school, and he just has not been able to stay healthy. I, I was dead certain he was going to win the uh, quarterback job as a true freshman at TCU, but uh, he had a, a significant injury as a senior in high school, had some more uh, injuries when he got to TCU, and just hasn't quite you know, been able to, to really get on the field at all. Uh, he played two or three games, something like that, over the last couple of years, uh, but just hasn't been healthy. So uh, hopefully he can get that situated. And, and UNLB seems like they're doing some interesting things. Marcus Arroyo, former uh, Oregon offensive coordinator, has gotten a lot of commitments from a lot of guys uh, over the last few weeks. It'll be interesting to see where that uh, first recruiting class lands and and if there are some of those uh, players that are going to be able to, to have a, a, an immediate impact, it looks like Rodgers might have to sit out, even though he didn't play uh, more than four games last year. It, it 
seems like maybe unless he gets a waiver, he'll have to sit out as well. But uh, looking ahead to 2020 or 2021, I, I think he has an opportunity to really be a big time player if he can stay healthy. Because I was a huge fan of his coming out of high school. Um, Britton Brown at UCLA, uh, that's one that I think is of note. It, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. They lose uh, Joshua Kelly, but I was uh, pretty high on. Um, uh, it seemed that that uh, um, Demetric Felton was going to be maybe the guy uh, at running back next year. So interesting to see how that plays out. I believe Brown is immediately eligible, has graduated from Duke. So he'll be in the mix there for carries at UCLA. And if so, maybe hopefully this year they'll get Felton out in more of a uh, situation, you know, in the slot as a receiver, things like that, because he needs to be on the field. So I uh, want to see how all that plays out. And Xavier, what do you think about these transfers? Uh, well, first, I'd like to uh, probably start with Trey Lowe and Treshawn Harrison to Oregon State. Um, Jonathan Smith over there has done a pretty good job keeping Oregon State uh, afloat, and now he, it looks like he's trying to get the program to the next level. Um, when you look at them last season, they finished 5-7, and seven, one game off of, uh, or one win off of a bowl game, uh, but they were competitive all season. You know, they only lost to Stanford by three. They uh, only lost to Washington by 12, which is where uh, one of the players is coming from. And, and I think that a lot of uh, people have seen what he's doing at Oregon State and liked what he's doing. Um, you know, the offense at times was very explosive last year. And I think that it points to Oregon State getting in the right direction, that he's pulling two kids from Washington and Florida State, two big-time programs. Um, another one, obviously, you have to look at um, Britton Brown going to UCLA. As Nick alluded to, Joshua Kelly's leaving. He was actually one of my standout players in the Senior Bowl. Um, I thought he played really well. But obviously, the you can never have too many good running backs um, on a program. Uh, so I love that move. Justin Shorter going to Florida, another guy who's going to have to come in. And I know he may have to sit out, but Florida needs receivers. I mean, they lost five of them this offseason with Van Jefferson, Swain, Cleveland, or excuse me, four this year, uh, all leaving either by graduation or headed to the NFL. So any receivers that they can get in right now um, is imperative. And obviously, Justin Shorter, uh, being a former four-star, um, is a big get for them. So I think that those three moves were the first, were the ones that really uh, point out to me. Um, I don't know much about the Michael Jones to Tulane move. It just was a little surprising to me that, that somebody would leave Oklahoma to go to Tulane. Uh, but hey, teach it up. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, uh, I just to me it means he's probably too low on the depth chart. He wants some real playing time. So mm-hmm. uh, that that's got to be what it is, you know. And, and that's coming from me. So uh, what about? Uh, <laughs> What about these guys that haven't made their decisions yet, Nick? Uh, there's a lot of good ones still left here, especially at the quarterback position. Uh, KJ Costello, he's visited um, Mississippi State and Washington, obviously going from Stanford. Uh, Peyton Ramsey has decided to leave. So for us fantasy nerds, uh, thank God, because we all like my, uh, Michael Penix. Uh, Jaron Williams is leaving Miami. He's visited Missouri. Uh, Jack Sears, uh from USC. He was going to go to San Diego State, but then he decommitted. He has visited Iowa, I believe, and then Chase Bryce and Anthony Brown. Uh, Chase Bryce from Clemson and Anthony Brown from BC. So where do you see some of these guys going, and do you have like a dream scenario for any of these? I'm not sure I necessarily have a dream scenario, but... I, I was really impressed with Peyton Ramsey last year. I've been impressed with him for, for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. He's, he's 
high on the Indiana all-time passing list, but he just hasn't been able to shake Michael Penix. Uh, you know, he's been competing with him uh, each of the last two preseasons for the job and, and then uh, was able to take over this year after Penix struggled with injuries at, at different points of the year and, and did a lot of really good things. Uh, I also have been impressed at times with KJ Costello. I mean, 2018 uh, was a really, really good year for him. And of course he had more weapons at, at receiver uh, to deal with through a lot of jump balls. JJ Arcega Whiteside was able to, to go up and make some plays, maybe perhaps make Costello look a little bit better than he deserved. I'm not sure, but uh, last year just never got going because suffered a concussion in the uh, season opener had, I believe, a thumb injury a few weeks later when he got back into action and, and just, uh, you know, wasn't able to uh, stay on the field. And then Davis Mills took over and, and Mills really, I think, played really well, outplayed Costello uh, in 2019. Uh, and, and obviously Costello searched for an opportunity to, to go somewhere else. He's visited both Washington and Mississippi State. A lot of people have have uh, sort of pegged him for a perfect fit for Mike Leach. And before he went to Mississippi State, there was talk about Costello being a perfect fit at Washington State. Um, so that certainly could work out. I mean, he's a he's a big, strong, smart guy, and you have to think that uh, putting him in a system like Leach's will will give him a, a chance. To succeed, you know, they're going to put him in situations to get rid of the ball quickly. So his uh, sort of immobility won't necessarily be an issue. Have to think that he would be able to, to put up uh, some big passing yardage numbers if, if that were to work out. Uh, Washington, I was a little bit surprised because they have a, a pretty highly rated guy that seems to be, you know, ready to step in and, and take over for Jacob Eason. Uh, Jacob. Uh, uh, Sermon, I believe, is is uh, sort of the the top guy there. So, um, was a little surprised if that's the the situation. But you know, if you have a uh, a veteran and an experienced guy like Costello, you have to certainly take a look at it. So, I, I think those two guys are are the top two. Uh, but some of the you know, I'm I'm intrigued by Anthony Brown. He's uh, somebody that does have an ability to hurt defenses on the ground. Um, have to see him sort of bounce back from injury this year, of course, to, to see if that's uh, something he's going to be able to do in the future. But would like to see him in an offense that uh, sort of would take more advantage of his skill set. I don't think Boston College really did a, a great job of that in the past, but he's a guy that's got a lot of experience. He's a, you know, he's, he's been a starter for two plus years and, and uh, for him to, to, go to a situation that can uh, perhaps put him to better use than Boston College did. I think uh, he has an opportunity to take a big step forward if he's healthy. Uh, any uh, dream scenarios for you here, Xavier? Uh, well, Vanderbilt just needs a quarterback. So if any of these guys of can head to Vanderbilt, they don't have a scholarship quarterback currently. So, you know, if, if Costello or I heard Bryce was obviously a name that was linked with Vanderbilt as well. If either mm -hmm. one of them can go there, that'll be the best quarterback that they've had in a while. Or to put it to you that way. If I'm KJ Costello, I stay as far away from Vanderbilt as I possibly can. Um, he's been in an 
unfortunate positions where his offensive talent has just not been healthy uh, at his time in Stanford. Um, I really think that Mike Leach at Mississippi State would be the perfect move for him. It gets him an opportunity to get the ball out of his hand, show his arm talent for, obviously, future draft stock, and uh, show why he was a five-star coming out for Peyton Ramsey. Loved him at Indiana. Um, just could never get over the hump um, at times. And uh, I always felt like he was on too short of a leash. Um, you know, I would always tune into Indiana games and it always seemed like he would play well for a half and then he would dip in the third quarter or start the game off awful and maybe come back and play well. He could never stay consistent at his time in Indiana. So that was unfortunate. I think that um, a move to Colorado as we have it here would be really good. Obviously, Montez is leaving. Um he was out, honestly one of my worst performers at the Senior Bowl. But regardless, you lose a guy who's been a three-year starter. Uh, for them, you need somebody who can come in and lead the offense right away. As far as Jaron Williams, I'm just I'm so happy he's moving. Um, he just needs to be able to stay alive. Go go to a team that has an offensive yeah. line that doesn't allow you to get sacked almost 11 times in one game. Somewhere uh, where I mean, you get more than one Mississippi. Would yeah, be. like somewhere <laughs> where you can actually read. Um, and it's not, you know, the defensive lineman that he's reading coming to his face. Um, Chase Bryce, obviously, we saw him come in and, and perform well in the one game that he did um, in service for um, Trevor Lawrence against Syracuse. Um, I just want to see what he's capable of doing. Um, obviously, he was a five-star talent. You know, obviously, um, guys that come into big programs like Clemson's or Alabama's or LSU's tend to go there. If they don't get starting time, they need to leave right away. And he's got two years left. Uh, of eligibility, allowing him to get acc uh, acclimated, kind of like what Joe Burrow did. I don't know if he'll be exactly what that is, but that's probably the best. And so, yeah. Um. All right. So let's talk. How do you want to do this one here, Nick? We've got end of season rankings. Uh, we've got the most improved players, least improved players. Where do you want to start on this? Well, so uh, a couple of weeks ago, right after the national championship game, I, I wrote a couple of things for uh, fansided.com who, who uh, gave us an opportunity this year to, to uh, share some of our ratings and rankings and, and things like that over the course of the year. So one of those that got published uh, immediately after the national championship game was our end of season rankings. And, and like all of our rankings as we talked about over the course of the year when we're uh you know the comparing game you know doing previews and, and things like that these are power ratings so they're what team would be favored over another on a neutral field and i just thought it was sort of interesting to see where our rankings uh finished related to maybe you know the, the last uh, college football playoff committee rankings or uh, the final AP poll, things like that. Uh, of course, we had LSU um, uh, finally, finally jumped up to, to number one by winning the national championship. We were uh, just, we were slow to, to uh, get on the LSU uh, bandwagon. And, and uh, part of that was uh, didn't have a huge head coach rating for Ed Ogeron coming into the year, and and uh, somewhat deservedly so. I mean, his Ole Miss tenure was not uh, perfect, and, and his first couple of years at LSU were good, but not spectacular. So uh, certainly didn't see this going. Something to look for in your the future. Rankings, uh, I didn't mean to cut you off, but your rankings yeah. are uh, not anywhere as mean as the memes that were made about Ed <laughs> Orgeron uh, before this championship this season. So uh, not a lot of people respecting Orgeron at all uh, coming into the season. So, Sure, sure. And, and uh, you know, he's, he's proven – 
a lot of people wrong and, and had a, one of the all-time great years, and, and he's proven that he can put a staff together. So uh, we talked a little bit about the Bo Pelini hire uh, earlier. You know, uh, hopefully he'll be able to continue uh, to to build a strong staff. You know, he's going to be able to recruit, and I think he's he's learned a lot and proved uh, that he's capable of putting people in a position to be successful. So uh, I, you know, looking ahead to next year, he's uh, now certainly in the in the top five as far as our head coach ratings go, and I think deservedly so based on last year's performance but uh so lsu finally got the the top spot followed by clemson ohio state alabama uh much higher on alabama than you know the ap poll the playoff committee things like that um they are a a super super uh talented team strong team had a couple of losses of course had some key injuries to tua um, which which played a huge role. I think if he were healthy, probably uh, they they would have been in the playoff and, and might have even won it all. But uh, we had them finishing fourth. Uh, Georgia, Oklahoma, Florida, Notre Dame, Auburn, and Utah round out the top ten. That I think is is somewhat notable. Utah was one spot ahead of Oregon. Of course, Oregon beat Utah. You know, uh, right. beat them easily in the Pac-12 uh, title game. But according to our final numbers, uh, if they were to play that game again, we would uh, give Utah a very slight, slight uh, edge. I think it's you know less than a point or something. But we still would have Utah favored. So maybe we're wrong on that. Uh, obviously, Utah, uh, Oregon proved to be the better team on the field. But just thought that was a little bit interesting. You know, from from a uh, that is our top 10 finishing up. Um, what about the most improved teams from uh, 2018 to the end of 2019? So I, I look at, we've talked about it before, our team performance ratings. In addition to uh, head coach ratings that we just talked about with Odron, and, and we've got roster strength ratings that take into account talent and experience and production. Uh, the other thing is team performance. So that's individual game-by-game grades on uh, statistics base. how did each team fare uh, on the field. And what I did was uh, thought it was sort of interesting to compare their 2018 average team performance rating to their 2019 and who had the biggest gains. And so the top 10 teams that improved the most, and this is in order, um, actually this is 11 teams, uh, were uh, Louisville, who was just absolutely dreadful in 2018. Bye-bye, Petrino. Right. And came around, won eight games, a bowl game, and, and uh, very impressive. Uh, they were number one, most improved, uh, followed by Navy, Baylor, Central Michigan, who went from one uh, win to a division championship. I mean, uh, Baylor, I Matt Rule, of course. And yeah, then, of course. And then Central <laughs> Michigan doing it all except for letting me down in, uh, against San Diego State in the New Mexico Bowl and giving up 48 points. Rocky Long had to polish that resume for uh, <laughs> for a D.C. For job. New Mexico, New Mexico. yeah. <laughs> uh, then uh, so the fifth most improved, Oregon State. Then SMU, believe it or not, Florida State improved a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, they were not – Great, obviously. Uh, ended up Willie Taggart lost his job, but uh, 2019 was a better year on the field than uh, 2018. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, in 2018, <laughs> I mean, not not to, I, I think, Samford. 
Yeah, and they were trying to get in the the hurricane makeup game so that they could be bowl eligible. Right. So, I mean, it was just a dreadful year in 2018. 2019 wasn't much better, but still, it was a lot better than 2018. So I'm not too surprised to see them on the list. Yeah. Then uh, eighth most improved, Xavier would be proud, Georgia State took yeah. a big step forward in, in 2019, uh, followed by Oregon, North Carolina, and then coming in at number 11, LSU, most improved team as far as our team performance ratings go. They finished the year actually second in 2019 team performance. Ohio State, uh, believe it or not, just uh, squeaked out uh, based on uh, their game-by-game average. Now, the teams that lost the most, uh, I'm not too surprised to see these team names on here either. So you want to go through those, Nick? Uh, Fresno State. We were we were very high on Fresno State. Their team performance rating last year, I believe, was top 20, if not top 15. They were very, very good game by game. Their average game grade in 2018 was, was really impressive. And uh, we had them as our number two team in, in the Mountain West most of the year. But uh, they lost... Uh, lost a lot of games and, and and just didn't play as well. So they were actually the the uh, the team that had the worst um, uh, downgrade from 2018 to 2019. Utah State uh, followed North Texas, disappointing, had high expectations and and didn't make a bowl game this year. Ohio, believe it or not, they they had some some highs this year, but uh, game by game, their their uh, team performance rating not as impressive this year. Uh, compared to last the the biggest downgrade as far as a uh, power five team was West Virginia uh, took a big step back in Neil Brown's first year but have to think that he's uh, going to have a moving in the right direction again in 2020 Vanderbilt NC State I know a lot of people were uh, pretty high on NC State they lost a lot of production from 2018 but I saw some uh, a lot of people had them in you know top 40 top 35 uh preseason standings and, and things like that. Fortunately, we weren't as high as, as some were, but uh, still I was surprised at how far they fell. Army took a big step back. Syracuse, of course, took a big step back. Um, then uh, Akron, Troy, and UMass uh, rounded out that uh, bottom 10 as far as the, the least improved or, or the biggest step backs from uh, twenty. 20- 18 to 2019. Be honest, where's how Michigan State on this list? <laughs> I said, where is Michigan State on this list? Uh, good question. I can, as much as they let me down this And season. I was going to say, how close was Texas to being in this uh, list? Because it oh, yeah. couldn't have been far off with all the injuries uh, on d- the defensive side. Yeah, let me pull this up for you. So Texas... Uh, Texas in 2018, their team performance rating was uh, 83.9, which ranked 32nd. And then this year, uh, or in, in uh, 2019, they actually, believe it or not, according to our formula, were a little bit better than <laughs> they were. <laughs> they uh, well, 84, wow. 84.68. They had, they had some strong performances. I mean, the, yeah, the win loss. I mean, they had they had a rougher schedule this year too. Uh, the, the the win loss obviously wasn't better. So, uh, but I understand it's performance rating. It's not win loss rating. So that's uh, true. I, I understand that. I mean, the defense was just really bad. So yeah, uh, yeah, that, that being really bad. Big part of it. Uh, Michigan State Xavier in 2019 
82.51 team performance rating was 47th in the country. Uh, compare that to 2018, uh, they were 45th in the country. So uh, not not uh, you know not much difference, but um, certainly a, a disappointment. Thought that they were you know going to be in the mix in, in the Big Ten East this year and just uh, wasn't. <sighs> Yeah. Not the fall off that Fresno State had, for sure, or Utah <laughs> yeah. State uh, with a new coach as well. So what about uh, the records from uh, this season? Uh, obviously, um, you know, you're over 50% on everything, of course. Uh, I don't know, you know, talking about this, I feel like you don't feel as good as you probably should about some of these, but they <laughs> are impressive numbers. I mean, straight up, you're 74%, 544 and 191. So uh, that was fantastic for the regular season. You're 65% in bowl season, uh, 26 and 14. Uh, overall, 73.3% if you add them both up. Uh, against the spread, over 50%, 362, 359, and 13 pushes, 23 and 17 in bowl season. With the wrong team favored, uh, 35 and 28 against the spread, 55.6%. Bowl season three and four, um, 38-32 overall. Uh, top 25 versus top 25, 24 and 18 at 57.1% against the spread, six and four in bowl season, 30 and 22 overall. And then top 25 versus a P5 opponent. This is where you really shine. 58%, 105-76 and four, nine and five in the bowl season, 113-81 and four against the spread. And well over 50% in everything here, all time between 2018 to uh, the national championship game. Uh, earlier this month. So what um, what what do you see moving here? Are, are there any adjustments you're making? Um, and what were you impressed and unimpressed by this season? So the, the first thing that sticks out to me um, is just in all games. I mean, I, I would love for the things that we do, the, the player-based, ratings-based, uh, you know, the, the, the four, you know, key things that I was talking about, roster strength, head coach rating, team performance rating, those, those three combine into our overall team strength. So, uh, those are words. If, if you haven't been with us all year, uh, or, or weren't with us during the, the regular season, those are things that I referenced time in and time out and, and, uh, use those, uh, or the, the, the team strength ratings overall to create, uh, those power rankings and create point spreads. And, and that's where all this is, is coming from. So overall, I would love to improve all games, all FBS versus FBS games, uh, because you said we're, we're over 500, but we're just barely over 500. We're 50.9% all time. Uh, and in this past year, 50.6%. So I would, you know, my goal is to be 52, 53 percent um and uh i i do pay close attention to those other three categories that you laid out where you know we think the wrong team is favored that's that's been a, an important piece for us 56.2 percent against the spread over the last two years um I'm, I'm proud of that uh in games where uh ranked team plays another ranked team also very proud of that. Those are the games that people are, are paying the most attention to. 58.3% all time. That I'm I'm thrilled with that. If if you know that that's 
<laughs> yeah, I'm thrilled with that. 58.2% all time uh, and, you know, 57, almost 58% this past year. I think that's great. Um, you know, the in the in the ranked team versus a power five opponent, similar situation. Um, we're hitting 58.2% last year, 57.7% all time. I'm, I'm very happy with those numbers. So I'm nervous to change too much. Because honestly, it would be difficult to improve those situations. So looking at something where it's in you know the biggest games, most important when uh, our patrons are are you know interested in, in what our numbers say, more often than not, they're probably looking at those games. So I feel like we, you know, are competing perhaps with the best uh, in that in those situations. So, so I'm hesitant to change too much, but I'm also I really would love to get that 50.6 number in all games up. So, tinkering with some things in uh, the off season. One of which is I think that. Uh, and, and I'm I'm doing some studies on this to sort of flesh it out and see if my hypothesis is correct. But I think I've, I put a little too much emphasis on experience. Um, uh, I do weight uh, the individual player ratings. Experience is a factor, and I think I'm making it too much of a factor. I think I need to pull that a little bit uh, back and, and let the talent portion and the production portion uh, be a, a little bit bigger um, emphasis. So that's a, a small tweak that we're making for the 2020 team profiles when those will be available to patrons uh, next uh, or, or March 1st is what we're shooting for. So that's the first thing. There are other things that I will play with a little bit. Um, the way that we combine our offensive unit rankings and our, our defensive unit ratings together because especially defensively we're moving more towards not necessarily positionless football but you know uh, somebody's listed as a defensive lineman they might you know be a linebacker 50 percent of the time might right. might be off the line of scrimmage with their uh you know with their hand up and, and things like that somebody's listed as a linebacker might play at the line of scrimmage 75 percent of the time most uh, teams, you know, they might list in a depth chart a 4-3 base or a 3-4 base or, or whatever, but almost everybody's got five defensive backs on the field all the time. So working it out, because I think it's important to look at each unit individually, uh, but I, I'm going to have to do some tweaks on the defensive side of the football, I think, to better capture sort of the hybrid nature of college football defense today. So that's the sort of the second layer I'm, I'm looking at. I think I might, uh, instead of, you know, doing a defensive line rating and a linebacker rating and a secondary rating, I might mesh them all together. Uh, have to see how that, that plays out. That's an off season project, but those are, those are the two main things I would love to, you know, I would love to be on the right side more often than not in Mac games and Sunbelt games and, and things like that. But I don't necessarily want to, compromise our overall results in the big games because they've been so good i don't want to do something to to correct you know the whole and lose exactly and then lose an edge that we've got in those 
bigger, higher profile games that perhaps, you know, our patrons are, are most interested in. So, uh, you know, patrons, listeners, if, if you've got things that, uh, suggestions that, that you'd want us to look at, always reach out. But, uh, as of, as it stands right now, my, my, my first thought is to turn down the experience factor just a touch, not a, not a huge amount, but a couple of percentage points, uh, and then also take a closer look at how we're evaluating uh, the players on defense because things are just so multiple today. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for this week on CFB Winning Edge. Remember, you can find us all on the Twitter at Bogman Sports, at CFB Winning Edge, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And we'll be back again for you guys next week. Like I said before, no offseason for us. No offseason nope. for this pod. We are uh, going to keep rolling through the offseason and uh, you know give you a show every single week here, out barring some emergency or something of that nature. So uh, expect a show from us every week moving forward, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. CFB Winning Edge is a Patreon-supported outlet. The more support we receive, the more value we're able to bring to our listeners, readers, and users. There are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season, including written previews, a weekly newsletter, and expanded podcast schedule. However, we can't grow without your support. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for details.